Ladies and gentlemen, we're back in 2023 and chaos is ruining the earth yet again. Why does this keep happening? Who knows? Exactly, who knows? I'm Natalie and this is Who's Raven On, the Raven On Doctor Who podcast subsection analytical thingy. It makes sense if you don't think too hard about it. And I, as usual, uh, should be joined by Stuart Late my erstwhile podcasting genius co-host who was cruelly ripped from the world by cancer some months ago and I'm still really angry about it and I'm still punching things, but that's okay because this is part of my working through it. Uh, With me to go through Doctor Who with the eyes and ears of experts just like Stu was, uh, once again, the fabulous, fabulous pair from the Best Pick pod, uh, Tom Selinski and John Dorney. Hello. Hooray. Hello there. I've had some lovely feedback uh, too from people really enjoying the podcast with you too. So thank you so much for right. inviting me or arranging for us to have this lovely little love-in, Doctor Who love-in. Um, <laughs> it's been really, really lovely. It's been great. I've been really enjoying getting the chance to talk this all through with both of you. But yes, Stu is sadly missed and gosh, he would have loved this episode so, so much. I know I've said that every week, uh, but this one in particular, I think he would have had such, such fun with. And uh, yeah, it's always really bittersweet watching Doctor Who now. And I don't, I mean, look, if it always reminds me of Stu, that's great. Um, But yeah, I'm not quite sure how, like, I don't know, it will always be a thing with uh, with Stu, I think watching Doctor Who now is what Stu would have thought and what would he say and what would his analysis be? <laughs> it's it's an interesting thought because, um, as, you, as you say, the I found it interesting during the week because I during the week I had one of the Doctor Who audios I'd written released and there was a sequence towards the end. I was telling Tom about this the other day where um, because it was the one I was writing when my mum was dying and towards the end I there was a character that appears in like the penultimate scene and and <clears throat> which is set in a hospital and I, uh, I I needed a name for the character I'd not planned the name of the character and I, and it was, a, it was a woman's name I needed so I gave it my mum's name and I'd forgotten I did that uh, so kind of listening to it again and realizing oh yeah I'd left this little bomb for myself and and somebody asked whether it was you know uh, you know whether, whether it was whether I was okay and all that I'm going you know what surprisingly I was I was you know I did cry but the moment I kind of thought was and this is what relates to what you're saying it's kind of nice to have an excuse to think about them in in a weird sort of, yeah not that they're not because most of the time they kind of sleep in your memory and but every now and then there's a bit which makes you go and it does make you sad and it does make you cry yeah but um but yeah it's a sort of weirdly happy cry in a way a happy sad it's 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 you know it, it's a chance to think back and remember the people you love Oh, yes. And there were elements in this where I just was thinking how happy Stu would have been watching this, like how knee slapping, how much knee slapping he would have done and just how happy he would have been to get on and record and go, I've got so much to talk about. And he would know the history of this character, the toy maker, far more than uh, than I certainly do. And I would love to listen to him tell me all about the history of the toy maker. But thankfully, I have you two and you, I assume, will tell me all about the history of the toy maker. Uh, a character that I had never heard of before. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, shall we do minute challenges? Do you remember to who said it is to go first? The giggle. It is mine, I believe. Okay, Because All right. I started and there's only three, so I get the unfair advantage of going first. But I feel like it's apt for me to go first. 
Um, because if anyone knows me and knows my history of, of living and uh, my passions in life will know that the first thing that I wrote down and indeed probably spent several valuable seconds of my minutes times just singing in my head is <laughs> la, 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 la. Slap it to the left. You know, it, it's the first time. thing I wrote down too. Hmm. You know, I like RTD... And I'm sure lots of people have problems with RTD, but what I will never fault the man is for his iconic use of music. <laughs> sometimes random, sometimes a bit like, what? But cranking out Spice Up Your Life by the Spice Girls for the toy makers, flashy, you know, I don't know if the camp meter survived that particular <laughs> test. I think it would have exploded just like bullets exploded into red rose petals. Um, but, yes, using the Spice Girls for Neil Patrick Harris to just ham it up was glorious. And uh, if there is nothing else I remember about this episode, which mm. is saying something, I guess, considering it's the episode that Shooty Gawa makes his debut as the But I will still remember the Spice Girls first because I was a teenager in the 90s. Uh, and uh, I really need to start upping that. I need to start reversing. I need to be like, I was a small <laughs> child in the 90s. Um, <laughs> but the Spice Girls were my jam, and um, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you guys, Spice World remains one of the best movies ever made, and I know <laughs> people don't think that, but it is so good. It's so good. It is just glorious, and so I have a lot of time for that movie. It is clearly, uh, you know, my where I was in my life. It is seared in my memory, but but Spice Up Your Life as the Spice Girls song remains iconic, remains great, and and I've talked probably too much about it. But, yeah, what did you guys think? <laughs> I just think it's a staggering sequence uh, in every dimension. I think it's an audacious idea. I think it's a perfect piece of casting. We'll come on, I'm sure, to talk about the original toy maker, but let us just say that uh, Tony hosting... Uh, award-garlanded Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> is a rather different actor uh, than Michael Goff, who originated the part. Both good in their own ways. Michael, not Michael Goff could Goff. not have pulled this off. Not Michael Goff, who went on to be Alfred. Yes. Indeed, the very same. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, get, you catch a little colorized glimpse of him yeah. when uh, the toy makers uh, first mentioned. That was him. That's Michael Goff. Uh, and what I... What I particularly love about it is it manages to combine this kind of surreal exuberance, which is so brilliantly handled by the director, and I think there was a choreographer as well, uh, with a really sadistic, nasty streak. Mm. Like mm. Those, those guards are dead. Uh, he spins first Mel and then um, Kate away from him, and they smack into walls or fall mm. onto the floor and look like they could have done themselves nasty injuries. Mm. It's, it's such a brilliant cocktail of different elements. Yeah, I mm. thought yeah. one thing I felt was really noticeable about this for me was there's a degree to which, out of the three specials, this is the most Russell T. Davis-y one, really, if you want to use that as, a, as an actual term, because there's a, a, a lot of it is, is riffing on some things he did in the past. Sometimes so blatantly it is clearly a homage you know I've, I've had people talking about you know the picking up of the tooth at the end which is so clearly the you know the previous master thing that you go if that's a homage even if it's not entirely clear why it's a right hand because you whoever it is they're floating um because it's right at the edge but but noticeably with this this is a a a in effect a version of the scissor sisters bit from um end of time 
and what really struck me with that is it's a it feels a more polished version of it and there's all manner of aspects why that's the case one for me is that is, is the difference between sort of John Sim and Neil Patrick Harris I really love John Sim as an actor but there's a degree to which I find both him and Christopher Eccleston slightly uncomfortable with the more broad comedy the sort of the more flamboyant stuff they're both mm. quite straight actors uh, whereas you take say David Tennant and you take Neil Patrick Harris in particular. Neil Patrick Harris is having the time of his life there, whereas there's a faint sense mm. of John Sims going with it, um, and and that's why I think the sequence is like a it's a version of the same thing, but just done beautifully. It is the, the standout moment of all three specials by quite some distance, I think, and and, and pretty much as you say, because it does more than just have the fun of it. It is the bits of violence and the, and the, the the mad surrealist imagery that all just makes it funny and terrifying it's it that it, it's got aspects of making you feel everything at the same time which is always an exciting thing to pull off i think it's definitely a better chosen song in a weird sort of way than the the, the scissors sisters one because the scissors sister one isn't as directly fun spice up your life spice up your life is a party song whereas um the scissors sisters one has i can't decide if you should live or die it's almost too direct uh, whereas the um, it, it, this one works strongly because of the offsetting and the, and the and the contrast, I think. Yeah, and it's and it's so much more iconic. And I I know that word is overused, but um, the other one that made me think um, with Russell T Davies and the there's Australian band Voodoo Voodoo Child. Um, here come the drums. Here come the drums. Mm. When the master came in, so the odd story about this is is Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, my partner. He had heard that song and said during that whole season when the master was plagued by the drums and he would say, here come the drums, here come the drums with that beat. And then Greg heard that song and went, I reckon that's going to be in Doctor Who. No word of a lie. This is a true story. And I said, no, it's too poppy. Like it doesn't make any sense. The chorus is you are my voodoo child, you are my voodoo child. That doesn't really suit. But it comes in just at the here come the drums, here come the drums line. And again, as you say, John, that's a very direct lift of that line. Same with the Scissor Sisters one. Um, but they're not as well-known songs. And so coming in with the Spice Girls, everyone knows that song. They sang it at the Olympics. They say, you know, yes. it's, yeah. it's of all the Spice Girls songs, it's that or Wannabe, and Wannabe doesn't suit, and uh, and this one does. So Perfectly chosen. Yeah. I wonder how long they took to choreograph uh, that whole thing because the editing is crazy too because he's yeah. moving around so quick, he's on the phone. He's doing kind of like cutesy 1950s office style things. He's on the phone, yeah, he's yeah. taking notes, he's on a computer, he's here, there, everywhere. It's a very, um, you know, cheeky and, um, you know, and I guess they sort of really took that, that idea of Toymaker and Puppeteer, which they seem to, the great Puppeteer seemed to be more of what they pulled out of the Toymaker, I think. Um, um, that's what it's reminding me of. Sorry, you know the genie in Aladdin when he's doing. Yeah. Um, you ain't it's never got had real a real genie like vibes. Me. Oh, yeah. that's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you never had a friend like me, and he's yeah, just, yeah. he's over here, he's around here, is and Prince Ali, he's he's a little kid, then he's a woman in a in a lovely sarong, and then he's you know, so he's all over the place. So it was giving me real yeah genie from Aladdin vibes. Yeah, and like I said, uh, who else could you possibly have got who could have pulled that off? I mean, it's just. It's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's NPHXRTD. As the cool <laughs> yes, say. the collab, the collaboration. <laughs> they should get a TikTok. Uh, they do, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Well, Neil Patrick Harris is just one of those guys who uh, I feel like he disappeared after Doogie Howser 
Mm. That's what I feel. But then he he turned up again, you know, he did Broadway and stuff. And then How I Met Your Mother, which I never saw, but I know he was super famous for. And uh, and I saw him again in the Harold and Kumar movies, Mm -hmm. or at least the first one, where he's kind of famous for being, you know, quite a, you know, camp gay man. Uh, but in Harold and Kumar, that whole thing was an act because he was like such a man, a man ho for ladies. And the, the gay thing was all just an act for publicity. <laughs> and he, he played, and I guess he was, he was very straight in How I Met Your Mother too, wasn't he? Like, wasn't that his whole deal? Yeah, yeah, yes, was like this yes, violently hetero. Aggressively straight. <laughs> yes. So he's really, really good. Um, you Have know, you seen him in the series of Unfortunate Events? I haven't. Others have and have told me how good he yeah. is. Just how so much better than the, the Jim Carrey movie. Uh, that series I thought was incredible, and he's incredible in it. I wonder if that was a bit of an audition for this sort of role, or again, there's <laughs> similarities there. Um, you know, the accents. He's so good at accents, and he just changes his accent all the time, depending on his mood and tone and how much he's addressing the doctor versus other people. And yeah, but that that routine as 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 a as a whole is was just glorious and I I I laughed and I had I had a friend message me and said as soon as that started I thought of you and that was like and I said that's funny as soon as it started I also thought of me because <laughs> 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 it was one of those moments where you're like oh it's like RTD was also a teenage girl in the 90s <laughs> uh, the toy maker's got a special uh, a special place in your heart John Yes. Um, because uh, do you want to talk a bit about that and a bit about the 1960s character? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it's a weird one. I wouldn't necessarily have got a special place in my heart as, as such, but other than other than a, a, a really specific place in my history as a sort of a Doctor Who expanded universe writer, because this second script I ever wrote for Doctor Who, the first one that came out, uh, is a story called Solitaire, which is a, a toy maker story. Um, where he was played by an actor called David Bailey. Uh, actually, I have to say that David Bailey. Say it a bit gently because David Bailey insisted on having his name printed in lowercase for some reason. Oh. Um, it was an artistic choice. David Bailey, probably most familiar to Doctor Who fans as being a character called Dusk in Robots of Death, uh, 1970 story. Most familiar to people outside it as being the guy with the parrot in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Uh, who doesn't say any words. He's got a really sort of impressive, sort of mellifluous voice. But yeah, so I, I wrote um, this story called Solitaire, and it, and it was the first one that came out, and it was massively successful, and it was very popular. Um, it's a weird one to listen to. I listened to it relatively recently, maybe about three or four months back, because uh, somebody was interested and played it to them. And as I, ever, I think every time I hear it, I just think, well, it's really good. Don't know who wrote it. doesn't feel like me, because it's like 13 years ago now, so it's a very different me. But it was a it was a weird mix of being a, uh, a really good fit of writer and piece because I'm a massive board game fan. But like the producer gave offered it to me without really knowing this, so it was it was an entire play about games and twists and puzzles, and but also influenced by other things like um, uh, various films like Fermat's Room was in there, um, Cube was in there. Uh, just the idea of these films where you've got people trapped in a location and they have to figure out a way out. They're all manner of things that fed into it. Um, and it's still a, a very popular audio to this day, but, and also very cheap. It's like about two ninety nine. dollars 99 Listeners? It's just two people as well for the majority of it. It's David Bailey and India Fisher who played the Eighth Doctor's companion. Uh, they're sort of the Eighth Doctor in it-ish, uh, but not 
really. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a two-hander for the majority of the time. Um, it's fun to do, but yeah, it, it was derived from this character from a 1960s story called The Celestial Toymaker. Um, generally known as the Toymaker, not actually. The Celestial is, I believe, generally used in the script with a lowercase c. It tends to be misconceived as being his actual name. Uh, that he is known as the Celestial Toymaker, but no, that's and, and given that the story was called the theoretically called the Celestial Toymaker, that didn't appear on screen. What appeared on screen was the Celestial Toy Room, um, which was the title of the first episode. Uh, it's there's all manner of weird stuff and discourse about that, which is, there's no point in going into at the moment because I banged on about it on Twitter on, on multiple occasions. Um, but uh, lots of misconceptions, I think, about that. But yeah, it's it's. Um, it's an interesting story. As I say, Michael Goff plays this role of the, the immortal who um, uh, likes to play games, turns his victims into toys. Um, it's very hard to tell whether the original series is any good. We've only got one episode of it left. Um, that episode isn't very good. Um, but obviously you've got, you're missing the context. A lot of the other episodes look like they've got really much stronger visuals and more interesting games. The final one is, is sort of like a Ludo hopscotch and doesn't look very good at all and you know it's badly shot and but it's, it's a really hard one to tell whether I, I suspect it could be okay with the rest of the episodes missing there's an animated version coming out it's just really hard to judge really hard to judge um and um it, it's not one i particularly go back to or particularly liked really but um i found the, the character's always been really interesting because the character um is, is effectively a sort of trickster god which you kind of have turn up in other things uh, but a games-obsessed one, really specifically, which is why um, he's not Q. He's not... Um, uh, the other, Tremaine is the other sort of godlike one out of Star Trek, isn't it? And it, it's... it's So there, there's some of the history of it there, I think. And he, he's not actually appeared in the series since 1966, I think it is. Um, but there was an attempt to revive him in, in the 80s with Michael Goff in, in Blackpool in a story that wasn't great. Um... And and is is the it was one. A, a lost season that when the uh, the show was put on hiatus in eighty six and there were scripts that had been commissioned uh, that were then never made and the Nightmare Fair is one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is a sad. a to, as I say to my mind incorrect discourse about the idea that the character is is baked in racist but the Nightmare Fair episode probably is a bit racist uh, because yeah. it's run with some of the problems of the first one but the problems of the first one don't aren't. In my mind, actually, there. Anyway, that's a discussion for. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a long complicated thing. But this this version of the time maker, I think, is uh, very clearly someone who kind of uh, as befits someone obsessed with toys and games. He likes dressing up. Uh, yeah. Although apparently, the mm. decision to put him in the sort of World War One flying ace costume at the end uh, was a last minute addition on the part of the costume designer. Uh, and uh, Russell and the director had imagined that he would be still in his, uh, what is he in his sort of like cheerleading outfit uh, from mm. Spice Up Your Life. But I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. And again, Your drum majorette, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. That yeah. protean quality, that genie like quality he has, I think is great. And it was a very, very smart, fun decision to have him in yet another guise for the climactic sequence. Actually, that's, that's an interesting point in a way because. That emphasises the godlike nature in a way that it wouldn't otherwise have done, because yeah. because if he's basically dressed in the same thing in every location, so if he's entirely in his sort of German toy shop guys at the toy shop, and then is entirely in the drum major at the other place, it doesn't imply that he can just switch, which is the more fun version of it. Yeah. Whereas it's 
like he's got change in the interim mm. and he just sticks with it and he kind of and it doesn't suggest all powerful in a way that the switch to whatever is the costume that match really does when he dances with the doctor in the street and he's sort of in like a Fred Astaire tux yeah. with a top hat yep. and tails um yeah he's he's got it it all matches the scenario and that's a very genie like kind of thing to do so because the thing is with the name like the toy maker to me that could be a time lord name given that all mm-hmm. i know of the time lords seem to have these titles rather than names if that makes sense um the doctor and the master and it's it's weird to to point out that that he's finally managed. To, I mean, that was potentially one of the ideas people have had in the past about the character, though it doesn't. Yeah, it, but the thing I find interesting is that it's nice that he's finally got the opportunity to properly participate in a regeneration because the original story, um, William Hartnell has made him visible for two weeks, and that one of the plans originally was to like bring him back with a different actor <laughs> to, to like replace him in a different way. There was some will of the, the toy maker that made this happen. So the, the fact that he's finally actually been involved in a Doctor Regeneration is... is, is Aww. You know, it's fulfilled one of his long-term dreams. <laughs> yes. So they literally, they didn't know initially when they started filming Doctor Who that they had this idea of regeneration. No. That oh, was no. kind of purely brought it t- on by... It turned up... When, purely William, brought on by the circumstance. William Hartnell got old, got ill, um, and, they need, and they've tried to figure out a way of replacing him as the lead. And, and they, there were various schemes... And and regeneration, which is sort of the simplest one, uh, um, was the one that they went with. That obviously is is the the idea of sheer genius that you know allowed the show to succeed and continue. So the, the first three regenerations uh, all have uh, very different kind of machinery around them, and it's not until much later than you might think that the idea of oh this is a thing that time lords do and they kind of wear out their bodies and then get new ones is actually three or four regenerations in before that is clearly and explicitly stated. It might even be as late as Peter Davison, if you think about it. Think about yeah. how weird. The, that's the, it's the first one where it's, no, this is just what happens. And even then, it feels different this time when it's the one that is the most normal of, of how we can <laughs> like out yes. of the first few, yeah. Yeah, because the, the first one is just, uh, just happens. There's really an explanation at all other than this old body of mine's wearing a bit thin. Second one is initiated by the Time Lords after they put him on trial. They, Third they, one, they say, interestingly, the Time Lords in the second one say, your, your body has changed before it can change again, as if this isn't something yeah. they automatically do. Uh, and there's, there's um, what's his name, Choji there, uh, who has to give the process a little push yeah. when the, the third turns, turns into the fourth. Definitely raised <laughs> Unequivocally, that one. Let's be yeah, that is a bit of, a bit of uh, yellow-facing going on there, alas. Yeah. But then, I yeah, mean... The fourth one has the walk. That's fairly common. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do like it, though, and they had a little glimpse of this. Um, with they, they, they had that, the memory from so long ago, the memory from so long ago and a little bit of William Hartnell and yeah. obviously Michael Goff, as I now realise, um, little yeah. flashes. And then David Tennant having a little moment going, oh, when I was young, I, was so, I made so many mistakes. I was so young. I was so young. And it's always so funny to see this creaking William Hartnell in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Incidentally, <gasps> As, as an aside, some people have said that, you know, it sort of decanonizes some of the, There's a lot of expanded universe toy maker stories. Um, and it, it, people have said it decanonizes them and go, no, no, it doesn't. Because there's the line about, um, I've made a jigsaw of your life for one. And also, you're kind of making this slightly weird assumption that the toy maker treats time in the same linear manner as the rest of us do. For people who listen to the expanded universe audios over there, there may be something at some point 
um, which rather <laughs> definitely, definitively suggests way ahead of actually planning for this. Like you couldn't have known it was coming. There's a bit where you kind of go, yeah, we just decided this doesn't happen in the right, the same order. So yeah, there's <laughs> that might suggest the filmmakers doing something else at some point soon. You should find out anyway. Business. Oh, <clears throat> The Doctor Who Expanded Universe is Exclusive big finish, ready for you. Universe to... detail. Yes, anyhow. Keep John Dorney in nice pyjamas. Yes. Um, the <laughs> the salt back on my list, I'd written down the salt, was the explanation for how he turned up or why he turned up was because the Doctor poured salt out at the end of the universe. Yeah. And he, he introduced the through... idea of, of superstition, of storytelling, of game playing into a universe that... Might not have had it otherwise. I think that's the idea. Mm. Yeah. And so the toy maker then got defeated with, well, okay, hang on. Maybe I should just go back to the next thing on my list, which was we meet the new doctor who is in his underpants. Yeah. <laughs> is that the first doctor ever we've seen in their underpants? We've seen uh, John Pertwee had a shower in uh, Spared from space, and where you can actually see he's got a Royal Navy tattoo up his arm. No, it's not a Royal Navy tattoo. No, but Royal a tattoo Navy. he got in the Navy. It's 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 a it's a prison it's a prison a prisoner tattoo given to him by the Time Lords. That's the excuse <laughs> that, that, that indicates he is being. Which Doctor was this? Is the third Doctor Pertwee? Of course, it's Pertwee. John Pertwee <laughs> had a tattoo. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, a, yeah, because he was in, he was in the Navy. Yeah. Ah. So, you know, it was, it was you, you had to do your national service. Yes, I had uh, had a great uncle who was in the navy who had a good uh, British navy tat. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, but yes, I put who, um, sadly. I put putting the by in by generation. Uh, yes, this is this is a very queer coded doctor. Yes, and I mean I wouldn't even necessarily say I wouldn't even necessarily say coded <laughs> um, <laughs> because he. He literally started out by saying, by generation. A lot of people said it was a myth. And I was like, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that I'm sure that like bisexuality was probably treated by some people yeah. dismissively as a myth uh, in the oh, past. Friends. So was, then there are bisexuals, but some people say they're kidding themselves. <laughs> Maybe people just go, you know, back and forth. Like yeah. you know, it's a it's a spectrum. It's a swing, not a roundabout. No, wait, a roundabout, not a swing. <laughs> yeah. Many entrances and exits. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you know how to, you know, use roundabouts properly, that is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this was the first time we saw Shudi Gatwa. And this was interesting because I I was sitting there going, oh, my God, this is the regeneration moment. They've brought it in here kind of, I don't know, 15 minutes before the end of the show and we'll see Shudi Gatwa defeat the Toymaker and, oh, my God, David Tennant's about to go. And then he had it gone and then he had the two women pull his arms and I thought, oh, they might need to like pop his arms out so all the magic regeneration dust, uh, whatever it's called, um, aura, comes out of his arms and explodes like it normally does. Uh, and then, no, it, it pulled shitty Gatwar out. <laughs> I was like, okay. I did like that they kept the clothes, like he got some of the clothes that David Tennant was wearing. Yes. As, as people have And the out, shoes. That means that the, the, the 14th Doctor defeated the Toymaker whilst going commando. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have, that's, so this is how perverted I am. I was just going, so that means David Tennant was not only wearing tidy whiteies under there, uh, but now they're gone. <laughs> and he's freeballing. Um which I think is is an Australianism, possibly freeballing, 
to use that in no. fine erudite erudite circumstances in the uh, I'm not entirely convinced that it isn't a Behenskyism, but anyway. It's definitely not a Behenskyism, <laughs> no. I always thought going commando was the American term, but yes, in Australia yes. it's often referred to as free freeballing. Um <laughs> although we take all Americanisms now, so commando is yeah. probably more popular, but um I don't know if that's is that a I mean it's different. It's a different way to regenerate. And that's is that good? Is that that's fun? Um, that two doctors are working together, like giving each other big hugs and, you know, so happy to see each other and, uh, you know, working together. But I I don't, isn't, you know, when you have that kind of this big sacrificial moment where he's literally impaled on the gamma ray Galveston gal- <laughs> galvanised beam of light and David Tennant's got the Christ position out, and oh, he's going, and 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 no, no, then he just gets to retire to a nice garden. Um, Russell said on the um, on the the commentary that he was fed up of regenerations being sacrifices, being sad, being tragedies, and he wanted to see yeah. if he could pull off a happy one. And the thing is, yeah, of course you can, but I don't think a happy one in which nobody loses anything and the victory doesn't come at any cost it just feels a bit weightless it feels a bit dramatically inert so i think this is different which is cool but i think it's different and not as good which is disappointing i think you could i think that christopher eccles regeneration could be argued is happy because he's sad to be going but he he literally says you know i was fantastic and i'm doing it now i'm changing now i'm i'm going to be someone else and it's okay so it's not, I guess, ha, ha, laughy, laughy, joy, joy, but it's, and of course it was the first one back in the New Who era, so it needed to have some sadness to it, I guess. But I, I would argue that it's him going, I'm, you know, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Um, but Rose loses her friend. Yes, and that's sad. And in this yeah. case we, you know, had Donna Noble potentially losing her friend. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't, um, as you say, she gets to, to sit and, uh, and, and eat eat curry with him in the garden and, and mad Auntie Mel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it was a fun, um, and, and, then, and then they had the double TARDIS, which I wrote down here too. Shidi Gatwa works out that if there's two doctors, there must be two TARDISes. Um, and that was interesting too. So it means that David Tennant is sort of sitting in a garden with a TARDIS kind of ready to go at any time. Because yeah, we, we have the Metacrisis Doctor who's stuck on the alternate Earth with Rose, but he has no TARDIS and can't regenerate. And that, to yes. me, is uh, a very different case than a, a perfectly fit and able Time Lord with TARDIS who's simply choosing not to run around the universe. It's, it's, a but bit, then it's, it's all a bit it, weird. It, it is interesting in that it sort of helps to, you know, we were talking about last week when David Tennant mentioned the flux and, and how he was sad about that. Um and it does allow, because we had the fugitive doctor and stuff who who didn't really know where they were and the timeless child stuff, I guess it is kind of a an interesting way to change the family tree so that you could have another line of of doctors. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not and entirely sure. And there's all sorts of talk of, of spin-off <laughs> series. And I, while I doubt that David Tennant and Catherine Tate will be back in six months to do more of these, there is the possibility mm. now that... Mm. Uh, in between Shooty Gatwer or whoever his successor is, in between their series, we'll have one-off specials with with Tennant uh, or or uh, Donna and Mel teaming up, or who knows what else. 
You know what? You know what I'd like to see? And it's, it will never happen because it's not what Doctor Who is. But you always hear about the Doctor and his companions going to fun places and having great times. Or remember when we were here and, oh, wasn't this naughty when we, you know, we got angry at Jane Austen or whatever. And you even heard at the end when he's talking about how he took Mel to the Gilded Age and he took Rose to Mars or something. Yeah. But obviously nothing happened. Obviously there was no monster or there was no critical universe risking issue happening i'd love to see the doctor just go back in time and have a wee little jaunt and nothing goes wrong or I, there are a couple of chris Chibnall episodes which are quite like that um but anyway yeah well <laughs> okay fair point um but it, it it you know is that the kind of thing it's like the doctor and donna go for a nice trip to the library of alexandria and <laughs> Read some books. <laughs> oh my God! It's the Library of Alexandria is about to burn down. No, 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 no. They didn't go that day. Uh, they went the day before. Um, <laughs> I, I just people have suggested this idea of, of you know potential further specials with the two of them. I'm not sure how good an idea that is, or whether that kind of undermines the main run. It was one of the things I, I said um, sort of immediately after watching was I, I, I genuinely sort of love and adore the, the bioregeneration idea. I know Russell was talking about, oh, I'm doing something controversial. People might not like it. And this bit go. I, can't, I can't see the problem with it, to be honest. It's just it's doing something new, something different, something exciting. Love that. Uh, the only potential thing is to say whether it, it gives an, an out clause for, the, for your racists. If for people kind of going, well, it's not. No, we should be following him. Rather than following uh, Judy Gatwa's doctor, if, if you see what I mean, if he, if if, if oh. Tennant isn't gone, it kind of it, it was just a slight worrying thought I had about it. Where if, if um, where, whether it just makes life a tiny bit easier for them uh, to pretend that the new one doesn't count if they don't want him to. That's an interesting point. Is it maybe I don't know. It's, oh. I mean, they weren't get a choice. Yeah, I think Russell's very clear that uh, as far as he's concerned. Uh, the 14th Doctor's story has ended, at least for now, and we'll be following the adventures of the 15th Doctor from now yeah. on. So it's it's only adventures uh, with Shooty Gatwell that are going to be transmitted for the next several years, uh, assuming that there aren't mm. 8th Doctor spin-offs or, or uh, you know, uh, no, yeah, just, the meddling monk returns but, or whatever. But, but I'm, I'm just very aware of people who sort of when, who kind of like have done all manner of really crass and idiotic and really bullshit stuff about um about like the um peter capaldi ending with peter capaldi's run or like yeah. like faking like about like i can't even remember what it there's some there, there was like a genuinely quite interesting website which got until towards the end you just went oh he's just acting as if it died the, the 12th doctor died and jody Whittaker didn't turn up or exist and all this bit we're kind of going oh you it, it's it, it's uh, that, that often just really annoys me and pisses me off and, and i'm aware that um, there is a degree to which this will make it easy for people if they want to do it. That there's, they've got an absolute built-in excuse, but it's not. But at the same time, you can't really write for that. You can't really. It, it, it's it's not something you know. It, it, the bioregeneration idea is a fun idea, and uh, and and it, I think it's worth it for that. As I say, it's just the occasional moment to go. It's why, as I, but as I say, it's why I think that the, the idea of okay, further specials, you can't really do that. Just because I do think it does undermine the main show, yeah. But um, but you know that might be that that might still be a thing. I don't know. As I say, I don't know um, what the plans are. I'm not on the inside on that. And I, and if, if they do attempt it, I'm sure there's a way they could do it to make it work. Um, but yeah, th that that was just the, the thought that crossed my mind with it. Well, I very much enjoyed Shishi Gatwa, but I found I actually found his accent somewhat difficult to understand at first, and I think it's just because um, it's. 
it, I think it's more. Uh, I, oh God, I'm going to sound. I'm going to sound it's, terrible. It's a but mix I, of different actors. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he was a, born yeah, in Rwanda, brought up in in Scotland, and then lives a long time in London. Uh, so it's yes. a really weird melange. It's a uh, it's a melting pot. It's a melting really pot accent. Is. So I, my ear yeah. was trying to like click into to a few things that he said that I didn't quite get, and um, and and again, that's just going to take time to hear him a lot because I haven't really I seen him in anything. I feel it's easier for native Brits to get, honestly, it, it, because it, it's it's so close to so many of the things we're used to hearing a lot. Whereas I think over there, obviously, it's mm. it's not going to be as. It's. I mean, I wouldn't say it's familiar here exactly, but it's it's a, based around some familiar tones. Mm. And it's um, the only thing I've seen, because I haven't seen the sex education um, show that he's so famous for. Um, I've only seen him in the Barbie movie and he was doing, you know, an American accent in that. So I, I, it'll just take me a little time to go, oh, that's, it's, oh, it's quite a, it's quite a London accent, but with other things um, mixed in. And it was less Scottish than I think when I've seen him uh, speaking on behind the scene, or a few things I've I've seen him speaking, he sounded a bit more Scottish, and he sounded less Scottish here. So, um, but I love the fact that he, that his doctor turns up fully formed. You know, he he doesn't spend uh, those first fifteen minutes or so bewildered uh, or yes. asleep yeah. or wandering around the TARDIS impersonating his predecessors. Uh, he's yes. just there, fully formed. We can yeah. see instantly what this incarnation is going to be like, and because it's an Tom, incredible come on. entrance. Incredible day. If you were coming, if you were, if you were coming into existence in a shirt and underpants, <laughs> like you were clearly a confident doctor. <laughs> like you're, yes. you're ready to mm, roll. Yeah. If you're just in underpants and you don't even comment on it, you don't yeah. even notice it. You're just there, all of a sudden, playing catch with an interdimensional force, uh, <laughs> and the doctor you just emerged out of, and in your underpants. Like that's that's confidence. And he's got really good legs, just yeah, to have to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I suspect I, it won't be the last I, time we see him in his underpants. <laughs> I mean, I, I think watching him, I thought he's obviously very charismatic. I haven't quite got a handle on his doctor yet. That's largely, I think, you know, a factor of when he turns up and the fact Tennant is there. And it just it, it makes it a little bit hard to have the full on focus on him. Uh, mm. But he already looks incredible promising i think as, as, as a as, as a doctor and I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes it's also very noticeably different from eric the character in sex education even just very quickly um it, it's, it's a man embracing being the lead rather than the uh, the lead's mate there was a lot of confidence and, and energy there i thought which i'm it means i'm really excited to see like the church on ruby road proper um i'll just wrap up my list um i wrote um Oh, we talked about Doctor Gets Retired. Oh, I said, who's Mel? Yeah. <laughs> this was a companion. I don't know. I feel really bad. It's, Mel she's, is basically five stories. Yeah, she's a weird one to bring back. A, oh, because... Well, depending on how you can. Yes. Uh, a, because uh, she's played by Bonnie Langford. Uh, and for some people in the 80s, her casting was indicative of everything that was going wrong with Doctor Who because she was she was light ends. She was, you know, West End Wendy. Uh, and uh, she had no business being in Doctor Who, which was serious drama. But also one of the kind of <laughs> bizarre things about her, because the series which she's introduced is one of the more troubled ones in the show's history with lots of key creative people uh, quitting, dying, uh, or uh, otherwise not being available to uh, do the writing that was required. So the Doctor's on trial. Uh, his uh, existing companion has, it seems, just been killed, and he finds this out halfway through the story. 
uh, and uh, and then it gets to present his case for the defense, which involves picking a story from his own future. And so in his future, and we see this evidence play out, he's traveling with Mel. And then at the end of the whole series, Mel just gets into the TARDIS and leaves with him. So she never she never meets him. She never actually meets him. She never joins. That story has yet to be told on television, at least. Um, oh, and right. it's it's very bizarre. And then she tells you, in her own words, uh, how she left. She she goes off with this sort of space Arthur Daly, uh, played by Tony Selby, for reasons which, again, are, are not clear. Uh, she just decides that uh, she's had enough of travelling around the universe with the Doctor, so she's instead she's going to travel around the universe with this guy. Someone else. And then yeah. she gets back yeah. by getting a lift off a of Zoingo. Was that a reference? <laughs> no, that's just something? made up. No. That was just made but, up. No, okay, because the, the, they the said it twice and I went... The bit that's really interesting is the fact that somehow he managed to live to 102 with her only ageing 30 years. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not quite clear how that happens, but you kind of go, you know what, I, I kind of don't mind that. Maybe that maybe Glitz has different years. or yeah. you know, And it, I mean, to be fair, having said that, well, that does allow a gap for her appearances in the Big Finish audios where she departs. She can always <laughs> go back to him when he's much older. So, so you know, I'm always looking out for these little things. Um, yeah, no, Mel's great. Mel, and Bonnie in particular is also magnificent um having worked with her a couple of times uh she is one of the most professional people you will ever meet in your life and so i i w went in for a recording she was in one of my scripts and she'd not been able to make it for the main recording so she had to record her line separately and i went in on the morning i was a little bit late getting in and by, uh, by the time i'd got in she'd done all of her lines for the entire two hours of it like in one like like hour-long session because she just prepared it to the degree where she could just come in, nail every single line, and then be done, like within the shortest amount of time possible. Um, which um, have I've, I've worked with several actors. She's the only one I think is capable of doing that because she is just that good at it, and and has been doing it for so long. It's like there's a, a worked occasionally because she started off as a child star. Um, it's been her entire life. She's in the West End at the moment in a, a tribute to Stephen yeah. Sondheim, in which at the age of fifty nine, uh, she does the splits. <gasps> uh, and to be fair, then doesn't need yeah. to be helped up again by other cast members, which is kind of part of the joke. Uh, but I mean, she is <laughs> she is sensational. Um, well, she was fun. I just I I obviously didn't have like a connection to her, but it was nice to see. I think obviously David Tennant. I feel like whenever he meets his like former companions, because he is a fan of Doctor Who, I believe, and grew up watching it. So it, I feel like there's a, like a little part of he doesn't have to act those parts yeah. when he's reunited with old companions. There's like a lovely sense of oh my god, it's you! I'm so happy to see you. I think there is a nominal degree there to which um, having Mel back is the same as having the toy maker back. Is that it's a bit of a vague hand wave in the direction of these being 60th anniversary specials, mm. which yeah. which they're not kind of entirely. But you know, it's why I think that it's packed with all those references. Uh, to the past of the program, which are all a bit random, but it gives you aspects from the 60s, it gives you aspects from the 80s. Um, one thing that did kind of leap out to me in a weird sort of way was starting with um, Stooky Bill and John Logie Baird means in a weird sort of way, the 60th anniversary special would probably have fitted quite well into the uh, the, the TV centenary yeah. special slot that the power of the oh. Doctor had. And the power of the Doctor one with all its repeat, repeating Doctors might have fitted better into the 60th anniversary <laughs> position. Uh, <laughs> But this is the thing, I mean, as I think Tom and I said, you know, the idea of um, people sort of, because I've seen some people online complaining, oh, it's not really 60th anniversary special, is it? And you kind of have this bit going, I mean, what could what could you do? Did you, Power of the Doctor, like, had all of the Doctors back? Yeah. That was, that was last year. 
what can you do now and do, that yeah. isn't that? Technically, this is like, a multi-doctor story. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. It is true. If I can just make a point about John Lurgy Baird, I did I did I, I love the way that the, the guy who came in to buy Stooky Bill, the puppet, um, then had to sort of go, Oh no, it's not for me, it's for my friend, the inventor, John Lurgy Baird, who lives <laughs> over there. Let me just explain what he's using it for. <laughs> it's one of those like, uh, we'll just give a little bit more information than possibly a real person would give. But um, in case you're not aware, being UK bound, in Australia, our premier highfalutin incredibly um, desirable <laughs> uh, television and movie awards night is called The Logies uh, after John Logie. Oh, Baird. wow, yes, of course. Yes, so that is the Australian connection uh, to the inventor of television uh, and The Logies are well known for being a little bit sad, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit dodgy and a little – people still love them, but they, 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 they have two categories of awards. So they have awards that are industry voted, but they also have awards that are popularly mm. voted. And the biggest award that you can get is the Gold Logie, which is for the most popular personality on television. It's a really odd thing. Imagine mm. the Oscars having like who's the most – popular um well it wouldn't be because it, it kind of combines it, you don't have to be an actor a lot of actors do win it but often it's presenters so it might be you know a morning breakfast host or uh someone who hosts like the the most popular holiday program or um but so it can, can kind of be anyone it's this weird almost like a potluck um thing but it's voted on by the public and in the past you used to vote um by sending in a coupon from your tv week which is the you know the tv guide and they kind of sponsored or had you know that was how you voted for the gold logie was fill in a form and the the stations would try to rig it by buying up copies of tv week and, and they're filling in all these little forms and sending them in they try to rig the awards and then i think now it's all done digitally so who knows how much rigging they're trying to do but it's it's um yeah it's a very very strange uh <laughs> uh awards show it's done as like a cabaret dinner though so it's more like the golden globes where you know, you see actors getting drunker and drunker through the evening, and then they're generally accepting their uh, their awards while half cut. And it's <laughs> you know, it's not uh, it's not something I really watch, but it's yeah, it's 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 got a strange Australianness about it, which is I guess half cringe, half proudly individual. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's an odd it's an odd beast, but named after John Logie Baird. But I did love that was on my list to mention the uh, the spooky puppets because, uh, yeah, there's not a lot scarier than marionette uh, puppets, and the scene with the um, well, when they when Donna and the Doctor were in the escape the escape room with the spooky puppets and. Um, yeah, it was very, very creepy and all the babies eat, trying to eat Donna and then the thing, I love the fact that she solved that by just smashing yeah. uh, Stooky, Stooky Susie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> smashing it against the wall. I think that's. Uh, I think she deserves her the lovely moment where Kate Lethbridge-Stewart says, you should get a job at UNIT, yeah, 60,000. Yeah. 120 with five weeks holiday a year, done. <laughs> I, um, I, I very much would love to see Donna at UNIT. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a weirdly sort of ADHD episode. It, uh, it kind of um, almost fragments into pieces, and I think it's 
uh, a testament how strong most of those pieces are that you don't notice that till the end. Like I think it is weird that we never see the fact that the giggle has gone away and that uh, London and the rest of the world has returned to normal because we're onto something new, onto something much more interesting than that. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that is really good. They have this whole like fantastic knowledge gathering scene where they're working out, oh, it's music and then it's the laugh and then it's this image that's been burned into t- every TV since the beginning of TV. And um, Especially when know, the last episode then- was so focused on its one idea. We're trapped in this one location with doppelgangers mm. trying to figure out what's going on. This was so frantically leaping from idea to idea, but all of those segments are so, so strong. They're so, so good. Uh, yeah. and, and to be fair, I think that my, my big complaint with this episode is there's a lot of story admin at the end and probably it wouldn't have been improved by even more story admin tying up what had happened with uh, the survivors of the giggle. Yeah, true. It, it's, it's one of the things, I, I've, one of the things I've learned over sort of the writing process, uh, various things, is that um, plot isn't that important. <laughs> uh, um, and I know that sounds like a really silly thing to say, but... but a, a, a really good plot is is useful. It is a good benefit. It is it, it's helpful to have. Uh, but really, ultimately, what we like as an audience isn't really we like character, we like dialogue, and, and like funny lines and stuff, and 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 imagery, I suppose, and 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 ideas. Uh, but actually, you know, a, a, a really good, well structured plot is a bonus. Um, because it's it, it's one of the things I felt with this, as I say, in, in on my list of niggles, these are not really criticisms because these are things which are kind of just like we're being you know pernickety here. Is that it doesn't really have a plot if you actually analyze it and break it down. It doesn't quite have a plot. It is a lot of set pieces with the thinnest of, of mm. things connected through, and also it, it's surprisingly contained. That's the other thing I kind of noticed, and one of the reasons I think it, it's got a faint sense of managing to do. It, it's saving its budget for the important bits in a way because ultimately it is in three rooms. Mm. Uh, I mean, or three locations. Well, two locations because it goes, we'll go to the unit base, then go back to the toy shop and then back to the unit base and we don't really go anywhere else. Obviously, there's a degree to which you've got like the, 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 the tunnels with their, their different things. It, it doesn't quite add up into a coherent actual plot because, uh, you know, what the toy maker wants is not entirely clear. It's all a bit, it, and there's no real progression. But you're kind of having so much fun that you don't really notice that. All of the individual mm. bits are fun and entertaining and the ideas are fun and entertaining. Uh, that you, it, it doesn't really matter that they don't actually necessarily stack up into something that makes more of a story. And so, um, as I say, that is my pernickety little detail on that. Uh, I, I might throw in another one as well, is that, that in a weird sort of way, for given that the toy maker is is sort of supposedly obsessed with games. It's, it's not really that interested in games, this story, and actual, like, as such, you know, the things that he actually plays. One definitely isn't a game. One is only borderline a game. Uh, so so <laughs> cutting for the card, that's not a game. That's, that's luck. That is yeah. pure luck. You can't do anything to influence it yourself. But ultimately, from someone who is a massive board game obsessive, <laughs> at least, you know, nobody likes Ludo. Nobody likes Ludo, even though Ludo, you do have a tiny bit of of influence. But Roland, Roland Move is not a good genre of game. Uh, you've got to have some influence on the outcome to make it sort of worth playing. Which is so, so it's not massively engaged with that as an idea. But again, kind of doesn't matter because it's it's sort of um, what it's doing in the imagery it's doing is the toy the toy yeah. imagery more than that. So you know, yeah. the, the marionette puppet, the people turning into balls, the you know there's 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 a lot of surrealism and and exciting imagery that are sort of getting in the way, not getting in the way, but kind of filling that gap. 
Um, also so, him throwing a yeah, lot of balls at the doctor and then Donna catching one allowed him to do the good balls joke, which I was like <laughs> making that joke before ball? it happened. <laughs> I was like, ah, balls, yeah. ah, balls in the air. And then, and ah, oh, Donna's got the balls. Hey. So uh, sometimes it was just in service of a good line, <laughs> which yeah. is a reason. In yeah, and of itself. This is this is the thing. I think a lot of it is they're built around these amazing set pieces and these glorious ideas um and and how you kind of get to them it, in effect doesn't matter i don't i don't think mm. it, it, it I don't right. necessarily i mean as, as i say it's why it probably is out of the specials my least favorite really uh because it is um whilst it's got all these astonishing visuals and all this kind of it's the one that is uh, I, I i love plot in my heart but um and so the one probably wildly under is a bit more of a solidly plotted piece um which is why i probably love that one um, more than this one, but this one has um, is going in for a different thing and aiming in a different direction and hitting that square roll. Yeah. Um, I've only got a few more things to mention, then I'll let Tom have a go. Um, mm. One was I did enjoy the puppeteer show where Russell T Davies mentions Amy Pond and Clara and mm. Bill Potts and then doesn't mention any of the <laughs> companions from the Jodie Whittaker era and just mentions the flux and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> My take on that was it felt a bit like the returning showrunner marking the homework of the previous two showrunners. Into <laughs> I just ignoring his assignment that they turned in. <laughs> yes. We're just going to move past this. And after them, you had Dan, who was around apparently. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my God, and Dan decided to leave for some I'm... reason. Well, that's all right then. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was such a wonderful like American, you know. Well, that's all right then. Yeah. And um, the doctor going, oh, but she's here and she's there and uh, she did this and she's still here and her consciousness is here. Um, I did have uh, the one who waits seems to be some kind of foreshadowing. The one who waits even made the toy maker run, so that's obviously a signal for the big bad of Shinigatwa's first full season. I'm guessing. But I thought if it's the one who waits is not uh, Walter White, who of course is the one who knocks. <laughs> yes. And not uh, he who remains, who, who is Kang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ah, oh. and he who shall not be named. I mean, you can never uh, guess. Yeah, there's maybe, lots of maybe. Maybe it's Brian Cranston as Kang. <laughs> I just, I just, I just think maybe it's like a tribute to Matthew Perry because it's like the name of a Friends episode. Uh, yeah. The one. The one with the one who waits. No, that was a terrible <laughs> yes. joke. Sorry, Natalie. And then my last little, my last little, um, not a criticism, but just like a funny moment for me was watching the uh, galvanic beam on top of the Tony Stark style Avengers unit building. They, they are literally, you know, this incredibly well-funded uh, anti-alien or whatever space organization and they've got a gun with a guy in it like a world war ii <laughs> yeah. naval ship doing this and uh, uh, you know with the with the pedal and the moving it and it's like but that would all be controlled digitally now surely why have they got a guy sitting in the thing controlling it and then oh okay they they wanted to have neil patrick harris be able to sit in it and and shoot david Tett. like i i get it but i still was looking at that going yeah, I always used to say to Stu, that's where Natalie draws the line. I was like, no, no modern high-tech piece of machinery would rely on a, a person sitting in the sidecar just wheeling it around and pointing it But the power the of that galvanic beam seems to vary according to the needs of the plot as well because when it's initially introduced, oh, yes. it's able to, to uh, destroy satellites in orbit. 
Uh, yes. But then when it's pointed at the building, all it does is break a few windows. Uh, and having oh, gone and- straight through David Tennant's tummy, he doesn't even <laughs> seem to scorch the ground behind him. Yes, good point. Surely it should I, be cutting like, the building in half, but no. The um, the Archangel, he even references, you mentioned RTD sort of referencing old things, but they talk about finally this worldwide network is, is connecting everyone. But it's not like the Archangel network. Yeah. We've checked this one. We've checked <laughs> this. And I went, oh, God, yeah. How many times can you introduce a global satellite network? Yeah. <laughs> That might be done now. Uh, yeah, I, so I kind of agree with John. These are, these are uninteresting things to worry about because the, the whole kind of whirl and dash and excitement of it is so captivating uh, yes. that it's, uh, it's a bit boring. But I, I think my, my problem is just that in, that in those last 10 or so minutes, the, the energy just sort of drained away a bit. Uh, and that's why it's my least favourite as well uh, because uh, the, the, even the fact that I sort of get that Bathos is part of the point, but it does seem a bit of a a limp resolution that the toy maker is defeated only because oops butterfingers like they don't even make a real feature of the fact that the game is now two against one it's just he's not as good as catching as they are it's it's just a little bit a little bit of a damp squib i thought well yeah it goes from a game of like cleverness which is you know the john Donny school of board games is how you influence <laughs> with your brain to who's the fittest and it's like, well, should he get one with those legs? No competition. <laughs> yeah, the other two are a bit tired. Though apparently he was the, the most rubbish at catching uh, of all three of them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you can see uh, quite a lot of shots where it's pretty obvious that he's just sort of jumping back with the ball already in his hand uh, oh, as opposed yeah. to actually catching it. I was I was wondering <laughs> if they'd done CGI with the ball kind of whizzing a into A couple shot, of times, Because yes. there was definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of times they were just going, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> You've covered an awful lot of things on my list. Um, one thing you didn't, um, uh, I put hugs. Uh, and one of the things I'm thinking of is actually uh, another, I mean, in, a, in a story full of favourite moments, uh, this is another one. I absolutely adore Kate Stewart's entrance, uh, just walking directly towards the Doctor, not saying a word and just embracing him. Uh, that's, yeah. The, yeah. that's such a sweet moment. It is, and weirdly enough, that that she had such this look on her face that part of me was like, "Is she going to slap him?" I don't know why. <laughs> oh, I thought that as well. Oh, good. That's oh. very much, you know, the Sylvia. Yeah. It, it, you you see that sometimes. It's like, "Oh, hey, welcome back," and the woman walks up and just smack across the face. It's like, "Oh, what have I done yeah. now?" I feel that they might have been trying to imply that because, and then make it a, a surprise of the warmth. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was great. It was nice that it's like she's the head, you know, very smart woman doing all of this stuff. And he's like, oh, I remember when your father was in charge of all of this. And and then she just a big hug like, oh, we're really screwed this time. And and then her, you know, demonstration of the Z-Dex and taking the Z-Dex off. I'm not sure if that's going to have. My, oh, oh, and the Vlinks, Vl- the, the aliens. Vlinks, yeah, that's that's a very bizarre Working. inclusion. And uh, we are going yeah. to see the Vlinks again. And I can only assume uh some dark secret will be revealed. That's a, yeah, that's a that's a very weird thing just to be sitting there looking all sort of lost in space. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily. I don't mind it, it, the weirdness of it being there personally, but it's there is. It's slightly weird that the doctor doesn't go. What the hell is that? <laughs> yes, um, react in some Hello, way. But this is, isn't a, yeah, yeah. Maybe that maybe that pays off as well. This is the thing you will find with some of it, really. So yeah, he's he's got more reaction to Mel being there. Yes, but to be fair, Mel yeah. being there is is definitely strange for his from his perspective. <laughs> but this is sort of the first time anyone's been able to really do this uh, because 
uh, he's already working on his the third Shitigatwa series. Uh, so he's really able to plan a long way ahead. You know, all this stuff was shot well over a year ago uh, and has been in the works for so long. A lot of this stuff was being written before Jodie Whittaker's last show had aired. Uh, so uh, he's giving himself such a run-up and, and steeding in so many things. Uh, I, think, uh, I think we're in for a, a really exciting time uh, when, when the show comes back. We're very aware that, that Mel is back at some point as yes. well. So that the... the and- Sure, Ruth Madeley will be as well, yeah. and and you know it, it, it's it's all going to move into something. You'll have to explain who she's the unit's scientific advisor. Oh, I see. Oh, the the little one with the fringe. Yes, the wheelchair user, uh, and uh, lovely little savage moment during Kate Stewart's experience of the giggle, uh, where she says, mm. uh, "I've seen you get out of that wheelchair." Uh, and it's that, that sort of cruelty and unthinking way that wheelchair users sometimes get treated. And it's assumed uh, if you have any mobility at all, you shouldn't be in that thing. And it's just so stupid. But uh, it's great to have that articulated. Mm. It's amazing that I, I got the impression that some people on the Internet actually did say that in relation to seeing her get out of the chair and, and you know cross her legs and stuff. And you kind of go, well, it, literally, it's called you out on that, you prick. <laughs> yes, so, it was, you, there was quite a bit of that, wasn't there? I mean, it, it, in terms of that, that sort of thematic stuff and the, the, the whole sort of the, the, the right man thing, as, as, it right, as in being right yeah, yeah. about everything, sort of internet source thing, uh, that's a very interesting and obvious thematic point to kind of, um, that, that it deals with. And that is an aspect of it, of that, that kind of the, the inherent, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm correctness, even in, in, in the most blatant, in, in defiance of the facts. Yeah, it's it's um it's very modern, very telling, and you know it is obviously the root of the, the first half of the story. I think it predates the rest of it. Is the impression I got because I think he, seeing the clips I've seen, I think he thought of the toy maker in response to having a puppet involved. Yeah, he started with Sticky Dolls. Yeah, he was uh, doing research then, yeah. for another show, uh, his show about uh, the uh, the Crossroads star, who was apparently uh, the first person ever to be transmitted in color television, uh, and that led him oh, wow. into okay, yeah. that led him into John Logie Baird, and that led him to Stooky Bill. Then he thought, who would who would have a puppet like that? And the answer was the toy. Ah, uh, uh, it is interesting that Neil Patrick Harris actually used the the words "we cancel." So that we fight, we text, yes, and we cancel. And I and I thought that was really interesting because there's there's you know different str- tra- trains of thought about quote unquote cancel culture. And some people who just vehemently deny it exists, and and I tend to not be that because I see I may and maybe it's a definitional thing, but and I think maybe it's less, but, but certainly just at the end of the 2010s and and into COVID that that idea of the uh, you know the, the the dog pile and the shaming and the John Ronson so you've been publicly shamed book talks a lot about it. You know, to me, it's like well that's definitely evidence of a thing. I mean, internet use internet users or, or users of, of the Twitter and, and Facebook, you know, you can you can see people just um, ranting. And I, I mean from all different walks of life and different political views and opinions, you, yeah. you know, you just are amplified um, and criticism is amplified and in, in such shocking ways and it's, um, uh, you know, it looks horrendous to have to go through uh, things like that. Yeah. Whether or not your opinions are terrible or, you know, obviously there's going to be some people who just do not care and they, they don't engage, but the people who are there, like, you know, we're all human at the end of the day and there's only, you know, so much. Some some people have bigger tolerance levels than others, but 
at the end of the day to kind of sit on one end and, and just have people calling for you to be harmed and all that sort of things no 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 matter what and I, I, you know I'm, I'm a more sort of I think progressive type of person but I would hate to think that to sit on a computer and just abuse people who don't agree with me mm. to me it just seems it, it seems so negative to my mental health and to my ability as a, as a person to kind of get on in life but it seems to be very or have been very very common in the past I don't know, five to ten years. So I think it was an interesting choice of words for Russell T Davies to have the toy maker use. <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I read the Bronson book earlier in the year and, and, and I've written a play about uh, sort of cancel culture, which is which I recently finished a stage play, which is fun. Uh, oh. Cancel me. Uh, but but I have theories about it that are probably too detailed and too complex <laughs> for, to go into at this, at this specific point. Uh, we'll do a follow-up <laughs> podcast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the sequel. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's. Um, I, I I feel that cancellation, as it happens, is happens on very different levels depending on on different people. That there are some people where it absolutely destroys you, probably don't deserve to be destroyed, and then the people, the, the the more famous people who it targets, doesn't actually destroy them. If anything, it helps them. I think a lot of the time. Yeah, anyway, that's my that's a discussion for another podcast. Yeah, or or another episode, Doctor Who. Yeah, and so, and so <laughs> there isn't there isn't really a lot left on my list. Everything that I wrote down, uh, either was already on your list, Nat, or I kind of crowbarred it in uh, as we were talking about other things. <laughs> That's often hap what happens with the the one-minute yep. list, uh, the one-minute challenge list, is it's just kind of a jumping-off point. Um, and uh, normally, you know, by the time we finish the lists, we'd kind of finish the podcast. So, <laughs> so where would you rank this compared to the other two? Well, see, I'm thinking now because I, I was going to put it second um, after Wild Blue Yonder, having really enjoyed the Spice Girls number. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, I just something about that performance and Neil Patrick Harris and, uh, you know, just kind of bumped it up for me. But I take what you guys are saying about the, you know, the, the anticlimactic element, I guess, partly of, of the bi-generation. Not, again, not that it was bad, um, at, at all, just that it, it led to things that were less than, you know, in the last 10, 15 minutes that were less than that, you know, big moment. Um, so, uh, yeah, I look, maybe I'll make it second because of the Spice Girls um, because I'm nothing if not shallow. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling from the conversation genuinely told about whether I should put it second. It, 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 it was one afterwards I thought where, where I feel afterwards going, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was such a hoot and then it's just trying to balance it out with 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 the starbeast because there's you know i enjoyed a lot of the starbeast but going oh did i enjoy it as much yeah the starbeast is better plotted but um th this one is full of more sort of exciting and fun imagery and stuff so they're probably kind of it, it's a knife edge for me so yeah. wobbly on definitely the favorite but then um the, the second and third could probably switch at any given point really i think mm. yeah it's tough some of my favorite stuff uh, from these three specials is in this one. Uh, but uh, uh, if it had kept up the momentum from those first 47 or 48 minutes, uh, it would be an easy first place for me. Uh, but I think it has to go in third place because I just felt the air went out of the balloon. Uh, and it's fine to do that in the last couple of minutes. But there was just so much dotting of I's and crossing of T's at the end and so much stuff I just felt uh, I wasn't really engaged with i was sort of sitting back and and watching the boxes get ticked uh and uh 
that was that was a, a bit of a letdown. But I, I, like I said, some of my favourite stuff across these three specials is in this one. So it was it was not a, a disaster or a disappointment by any means. Yeah, I, I think they've been three really lovely. You know, if people are worried about them being 60th anniversary specials and not being anniversary enough, like I just, I think that kind of misses the point, which is the 60th anniversary was a really brilliant time to have a transitionary period from something old to something new. So, you know, which is about the TARDIS being something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, but to, to have stuff from the past, David Tennant and Catherine Tate, um, leading into a new Doctor and a new era, the Disney Who era and uh, bigger budgets and whole new adventures. And, yeah, Doctor Who's going to be more 21st century, weirdly enough, I know, considering he's from, you know, whenever in time and space. But uh, Shigatwa clearly is coming with, you know, as you said, Tom, it's queer-coded, but I'm not even sure coded is the right word. Because <laughs> yes. I think in the trailer for Ruby, isn't he in, in a tutu in a nightclub? Like that's not, you know, that's, uh, I mean, I hang around with actors, so I don't think it would be out of, sorts for any of us to go into tutus but there might be a lot of people on who live in basements who might think that's uh not appropriate for the doctor to do but um yeah if they let him use his traditional scottish accent then yes um but i just figure he's going to try on outfits and try on you know that's his kind of thing and he seems to he seems to be in more in some of the press um, the photography that they've released from the series, he seems to be in different outfits. So he might be the kind of like a more chameleon doctor who doesn't just stick to one outfit but, you know, plays with style and fashion, which kind of is what a lot of the kids do on, you know, you do a fit check and you you talk about your outfit of the day and that's kind of a modern thing. So, yeah, I feel like people will go to conferences as I'm this version of Shitty Gatwa's Doctor and I'm this outfit that he wore and, you know, cosplayers, it's going to be a nightmare. You're going to have to <laughs> have so many more costumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Friends with Don Martin, who's one of the like the pr- premier uh, um, cosplayers going and somebody saying, is somebody trying to kill Don? Is, is that what we're doing? <laughs> Shout break. out to... Shout out to my friend Scott Driscoll, one of Australia's premier cosplayers who listens to these podcasts, and he's going to have to get a whole lot. Going to get a mortgage just yeah. for the clothes. Yeah, that's right. Also, how easy, How that is a good, easy one. You could just go in your tidy whities a white shirt, a tie, and go. some Converse, and, hey, you've got a doctor yeah, cosplay. Not doing that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, I think a lot of Doctor <laughs> Who fans, a lot of old-school Doctor Who fans would look great in just their own pants. Yeah, on, on the uh, on the image of fifty uh, five year old men uh, who live in basements, dressing up as that particular version of uh, Shooting Cowboy's fifteenth Doctor, maybe we should leave it there. Uh, um, what so, an image to end on, Tom. If I can just end by saying, Stu yep. was such a massive fan of pants off, you know, pants off Fridays, pants off Tuesdays. <laughs> he was a big fan of just getting home pants off. So I think he would so be into. I think need to spend the time. Just briefly, that when we say pants here, we're, we're meaning a different yeah, thing. Yeah, trousers off. So, so I, I, you know, I, it, it's not going commando. You said you're saying it, it's, it's not like it's not like a little spew out. It's not that. It's um, it, it, it's pants as in trousers. Yes, is what yes. it's not. That's not what I'm out Tuesdays. Yeah. No, no, no. He would he Jolly would keep good. the underlayer on. Um, but we, yeah, I think we, we, as again, Australia just takes on everyone's terms. So pants means <laughs> pants now, like trousers. 
right. um, but also can mean pants. You just got to see which way the the die falls. Yes. <laughs> Wait, which way? Which way you're dressing? So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, thank you, gentlemen, for this wonderful three part uh, podcast series. It's been so lovely to. Um, keep Stu's, you know, love of Doctor Who alive with you guys and have your expertise because that's what he was. And, um, yeah, let's let's hope for uh, – let's hope to reconvene after the church on Ruby Road. Yes, that would be lovely. We'll see if we can make we'll that work out. We'll work out when. Stay yeah. tuned, listeners. Well, we have come to the end of three fabulous Doctor Who podcasts for the 60th anniversary special, something that Stu would have loved and adored – all three of them would have made his uh, day. He just adored Doctor Who. He loved Russell T Davies. And uh, once again, I, I was very, very lucky to be able to get a personal message from Russell T Davies for Stu um, when he was in hospital just near the, near the end in his final days. And Russell said some beautiful words uh, to Stu about Doctor Who, about that, their shared love of that. And I will be forever grateful uh, to Russell T Davies for that. And I am so glad that he's back. And I'm so proud and thrilled that Stu, you know, recon recommenced my love for, for this show. That's not the right word. Rekindled my love for this show. Uh, yeah. And I will never be an expert. I will never be a John or a, a Tom or a Stu, but uh, I can uh, I can sit and love and enjoy the show and all of its various incarnations of doctors and masters and all the fun things. So um, with that, I will say uh, patreon.com slash girlclumsy is the Patreon uh, for this uh, podcast, the Raven on podcast and other associated things. Thank you so much to my patrons for all of their support. Uh, in all the years gone by, and particularly this year, we will try to reconvene for uh, the church on Ruby Road just after Christmas, but obviously it's the holidays. People have different things on, so bear with us. And uh, I will be working to come up with a conclusion to or, or podcast to conclude the Fast and the Furious podcast analytical subsection thingy and uh, house of the dragon released a new trailer a new teaser trailer this week which was very exciting and so i'm i'm going to have to podcast about it i'm i'm, I'm going to have to i don't know work out some sort of machine that can communicate with the dead and gets you back on um because he i need his expert opinion but if that doesn't work and i've got a couple of months to work on it but if it doesn't i will be organizing uh fabulous guest hosts to come on with me and we'll talk about house of the dragon um and i've rambled enough so thank you all everybody Ooh. thank you tom thank you john so much merry christmas to everyone uh or wh whatever holidays you're having whatever you believe i hope you have a wonderful uh Beautiful Christmas and, and a wonderful uh, 2024, if we don't see you before then, but we might. Um, and as we always like to say, I guess, and David Tennant got to finally say it this yeah. time, almost. Alonzi! 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 <laughs>